as you watched the rescue party hiking over the mountains to save you. You said to yourself, I have never seen anything more beautiful in my life. And the rescue we're going to talk about today is more than food when you're starving, more than water when you're thirsting to death. It's more than just a a safe way home. We're going to talk about people hiking over mountains for a rescue later. But first, I'd like to read our text, Romans 10, 8 through 15. The Word of God. The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scriptures say, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming, preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There are three ideas from this passage about missions that I want us to grasp this morning. And that is missions, this is personal. Missions, this is global. Missions, this is incarnational. It is, you might want to write this down, it is personal. It is global. And it is incarnational. Missions. This is personal. Meaning from a personal God who comes to us. Verse 8 of our text says, The word is near you. It is in your mouth. And in your heart. That is, Paul says, the word of faith that we proclaim to you. You know, that is a, a direct quotation of, a, of another very important passage in the Old Testament it is from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 15, and God is saying after he's given the, the law, these very words, and I'd, I'd like to read it. It's Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 15. I think you'll find this interesting how God comes to us, how God brings things near to us to make it easier to believe. Deuteronomy 30, 11, for this commandment I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not up in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. 
so that you can do it. See, God says, today I've set before you life and good, death and evil. Now I want to back up a second and just maybe point out something that's obvious, but maybe not so obvious. And that is that for the God of the universe... The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-holy God. For this, this expansive God, immense, beyond thought, God of the universe to personally act toward you and me is an amazing thing. I'm talking about personally. This God acts toward you and me. So remember in the baptism, we don't go to God. We can't go to God through religion or through any other means. God comes to us. Paul says, uh, Deuteronomy says this about the law. Moses says it about the law. And then Paul says it about the gospel, that he has put the gospel in our mouth and in our heart. These are words that talk about closeness, intimacy. This is like how, how things are close to you. They're literally in your mouth. You've tasted like taste and see that the Lord is good. They're, they're in our hearts. And what this means is that the gospel for salvation is meant to be, as one scholar says, accessible, easy, familiar. Verse 8, the word is near you. Verse 8 of our text, not Deuteronomy. The word is near you in your mouth and, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And he says it's not only near to you, but it's the word of faith that we proclaim that we don't have to search for it we'll have to earn it you only have to receive it by faith it's it's not a word of works it's a word of faith same god as deuteronomy but it's it's about it's not about what you do and how much you do you don't have to climb a seven-story ladder seven-story mountain to get to god it's about what he has done what he has brought to you the same loving pursuing god not only brings personally this gospel to to your taste to your heartfelt consideration but you know he also gives us the faith to believe there's something of god's sovereignty and his wanting people for himself his coming to us and acting so then with our hearts, we read in the text, we believe. And with our mouths, we confess. And, and we believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We believe that all of this was done for us. And we confess this and we are saved. We say, I am free. I'm loved. I am forgiven. I am alive. I am empowered. I am purposed now for my life. And we never have to fear again. As Paul says it, and we will never be put to shame before God because He has done it. Look, when you declare the resurrection is real and true because you've put your faith in Jesus, everything leading up to the resurrection is included normally in that statement, this includes the death that Jesus died to defeat sin for us so that the sin barrier we have could be removed between us and the Holy God. 
This includes the, the way Jesus defeated death in the resurrection and he lives and he reigns to give life to all who believe. This is amazing. And if you've put your trust in Christ, he has done all this for you and you have all of this. We have it all and y'all, we'll spend the rest of our lives learning this. The beauty of the gospel, of the grace of God. We will spend the rest of our lives not only learning about God's love, accomplished for us, now given to us, and a relationship with Him. We will spend the rest of our lives learning about it and living into it. In this purpose, and in this peace, and in this joy, in this good, hard work that comes out of grace for Jesus. The God of the universe loves me. He has come to me personally with the gospel. So first, missions is, this is personal. But secondly, missions, this isn't just one person. This isn't just, it's global. This is global. It's not just personal. And I've got to tell you, sometimes we Americans are so into me and Jesus and me and my needs that we forget that the gospel's global. And not just for us. And the benefit's just for us. This is about one person. This is about each person. But this is about all peoples. God, God's heart is for one. But God's heart is global for the nations. Look at verse 12 in our text. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. Some of your translations say Gentiles, meaning all the nations, all the other people that aren't Jews. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentiles. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is all the time here in this church. I mean, we are, we're a Christian church. We push the gospel front and center. Christ is the key to the scriptures. Christ is the priority, preeminent. The grace of God is preeminent in our lives. We celebrate that grace every week. We drill down into that grace every week. We want to live into that grace every week for the glory of God. But especially in the week that we're beginning now. We remember that God so loved, what? The world that he sent his only begotten son. And we remember this week in particular that that's Jesus commissioned us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Those aren't geopolitical units like the United States or Germany, those are the people groups. All the people groups, all the nations. Uh, disciple all the nations. God is global. There is no distinction. Other translations say there is no difference. Others say there is no diversity. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every nation, every race, every language, every tongue, all are sinners. All who are humans, made in the image of God, which is all, are sinners. Verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all 
meaning Jews and Greeks, meaning all these people from all these people groups of every tribe, nation, tongue, and language, both bestowing riches on all who call on him. God has his eye on the United States of America. We talk about that. We, we pray for God to work in our country. You know, we, 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 we kind of feel like, you know, we, we've lost something in the way of, of um, the, the historic Christian truth, basis of truth in our country, etc. And isn't it interesting that Americans don't have any question whether God, God has his eye on the United States of America. We think we're the new Israel sometimes. We think we're like the key to the cosmos sometimes. And I'm an American. I'm patriotic, so please don't throw rocks at me. But you know, the United States of America is not in the Bible. But these people groups that form this country are in the Bible. And I tell you, God has his eye on Botswana, Benin, I don't even know if I can say this, Burundi. In case you're wondering, those are three countries in Africa. Don't you understand God's got his eye on Botswana, Benin, and Burundi as well? Every night on the news or on the Internet, you can't say every night on the news anymore. Every day on the news, how about that? We get dragged, whether we want to or not, we get dragged to the Middle East in the news. But I'm going to tell you something. God's heart has been in the Middle East all day before we got dragged there. Because he cares about those people in Iran and Iraq. He has a church there. He cares about those people in Syria and Saudi Arabia. God loves the Arabs. God loves the Persians. God loves the Kurds. Who are the nations, the people group that make up this region. He has commanded for the gospel to be there. By the way, can I just say parenthetically, our enemy, Satan's great strategy for the Middle East is for us to hate those people and just wish they'd go to hell and write them off. Not here. Not in this church. No, sir. No, we believe, I want you to believe with me, we believe those countries can become Christian lands. Where grace abounds, where, where sacrificial love and, and charity and generosity and mercy courses one day through the, the bloodstream of the peoples in the Middle East. Do you believe that? Is God powerful enough to do that? That's called the Great Commission. This isn't just about us. This isn't just about the United States. This is God's global heart. There is no distinction. God is Lord over all. All have sinned. All who call on Him will be saved. The people in those places by the millions right now need rescue through the gospel. Right now. So first, missions is personal. Second, missions is global. Thirdly, missions, it's incarnational. I'll define that. Meaning, this happens through people. This happens with skin on. The gospel is enfleshed. Well, I mean, we know that. We know that. Uh, first, 
God himself took on flesh. Right? God himself came here. God himself came here. God himself took on flesh. And he died on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And many other things to secure salvation of those who would believe. So, you know, properly we would say, who is the original missionary? The answer is God. And it had to be us to take our place and it had to be God to substitute before an infinite God none of us are infinite none of us are the son of God we can't substitute for one another and so missions all has started with flesh on it's called the incarnation God took on flesh God the original missionary but you understand the gospel must to this day still be enfleshed in a different way. The gospel, in, in shorthand, is brought by people. The gospel still arrives. Grace still arrives on foot. People carry the gospel to people. Hope still has to arrive. Literally show up in space and time in front of people that have not heard the gospel. I mean, what a privilege. What a calling this is to enflesh the gospel. Incarnational, enfleshing the gospel. Now, I know that sometimes the gospel goes over the airwaves and the internet. And you know what? People do that. <laughs> People speak on the internet. It's still, it's still incarnational. Verse 14. How then will they call? On him whom they've not believed. I mean, for their life. And how will they believe in him who they've never heard about? And how are they to hear without somebody telling them, preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring, preach good news. You know, I've always loved that this is put in the form of a question. Instead of just saying... They'll, they'll, they'll call on them when, when someone comes to, you know, that, that when they're able to believe. And when they're able to believe, it's because somebody did this. And just, I, I've always loved, because it's kind of like uh, not just saying something. It's like asking us a question. How can they? And, and y'all, the answer in 2017 is the same as it was in, in AD 52. They can't. They can't. That's why we love it. It just focuses on the need. It focuses on their natural inability. How can they believe? I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like people are just kind of hanging out there still. Kind of suspended out there. Helpless and hopeless. And they can't believe unless they're told. And they can't be told unless somebody is sent. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on this says, Millions have never heard the name of Jesus, and they cannot possibly believe in Jesus because they know nothing about him. Yes, we can know things about God by mountains, rivers, and oceans, but you can't know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. The only way to God by God's action through sheer grace without being told. They can't believe unless they are told. He says, Sproul goes on, saving faith requires biblical information. 
That is why the church is commanded to go to every corner of the world and make the message of the gospel plain to all kinds of people. You know, the gospel is still incarnational. It's brought by people to people, and people still must be sent. So I want to tell you a story. This story was written in 1934. Uh, Let me get this lady's name by a lady named... um, This is from 40 Missionary Stories by Margaret Eggleston Owen, uh, Hyde Park, New York, 1934. So this is the story of a missionary uh, going back, I suppose, in the late 1800s. It didn't really say when, but before 1934. So let's say the early 1900s, late 1800s, something like that. Somebody going way up into the interior of China where there really weren't missionaries that had gone to places yet and so this missionary answers this call to to be sent and to go to the interior of china and um he came to a certain remote village and at a small inn which is kind of like a house really at a small inn he said to those present if anybody wants to hear me read from some books in chinese about how to live a happy life i will be on the front porch after dinner, and I will read in Chinese about how to have a happy life. He assumed that, you know, a few people might come. Somebody must have gone out and told somebody because that, that it was packed. There were people from all over that village that, that kind of showed up at the porch. And, um, and he began to read the New Testament in Chinese to them. He, he read them about the birth of Jesus. Uh, he read to them about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He read to them how Jesus loved children, how Jesus loved people that weren't Jews and kind of loved all people. He read to them how Jesus healed the sick. And right then, one of the people in the village just stopped him from reading. And he said in a really loud and excited voice, he says, We know this man. This man used to live in our village. (laughs) Well, that was an interesting response to the missionary reading from the New Testament. We know this man you're reading about. He said he used to live in our village. He came here over ten years ago from England. The missionary says, no, I can tell you with certainty the man I'm reading about did not come from England. And they said, no, it's the, I can tell the way you're reading. It's the same man. This man appeared one day. He began to heal the sick. He loved the children, all kinds of people, just like you read. He, he healed almost everybody in the entire village within a, through a few months. And then he himself died, and we buried him out in a field under a tree outside of town. And we marked his grave in Chinese, and we tried to mark it in his language, from his identification papers. Missionary said, tomorrow morning, take me to his grave. So everybody reassembled, and they took him out to the grave, and they told him that he had contracted a disease from them and had perished. And uh, over his grave were words, eloquent words in Chinese uh, about gratitude and some very crude, barely recognizable words in English 
they probably didn't even know what it meant, that said his name and the reason for his being in China was on his papers was that he was a doctor. And obviously, this young man had been trained and this young man had gone to China to help. They said, quote, he wandered along the Yangtze River for nearly 700 miles before he stopped in our village. He's looking for a place to, to work and live. They said, quote, he worked day and night when we had the plague, and then when we were better, he died. We have never forgotten him, for he was our good friend, and he told us how to live in a good way. The missionary reassembled them that night and wanted to comment on this man that they knew. And the missionary told them that their doctor friend was probably a Christ man, is the way he called it. And that's why he came so far up into China, over 700 miles, to help them and to heal them because Christ called him to do that. They were astonished. And they told the missionary, demanded that the missionary read more to them about this Christ who reminded them so much of their friend who had lived among them for a short time. And he asked, and then they asked him to stay, just like the doctor was asked to stay. And he did. And they listened, and they learned, and many of them grasped the gospel. Many of them received God's forgiveness and grace and unconditional love with joy, and the village came to know about grace, to worship God, and to love each other. That's from 40 Missionary Stories by Margaret Eggleston Owen. So hope had arrived a second time. And they were ready to hear from the second Christian who got to them because of the cross-shaped life and love of the first Christian that had spent time with them. Oh, yes, the gospel is still to this day brought by people whose hearts are for people to experience the grace and love of Christ. So, let's conclude by going back to that rescue party coming over the mountains. Remember in the first of the sermon I mentioned that? Uh, I'll say the sentence to you again so you can remember. I'm sure that was like, what, 70 minutes ago? No, I'm teasing. I said, as you watched the rescue party coming over the mountains to save you, you said to yourself, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I said that because that's exactly the illustration Paul uses here in Romans 10. And he, and he literally quotes from Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. He literally quotes from Isaiah 52.7, and I want to read Isaiah 52.7, and you'll see some mountains, and you'll see, see the rescue, the good news coming. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. You see, in our text, there is literally somebody on the mountains referred to 
who's willing to cross the mountains to bring the good tidings of salvation. So, you see the see the rescue team. See there. Remember, we're into backpacks this week. Help, hope, arrive. Okay, so can you see the backpack? All right. Now I want to ask you this: Who is that hiking across and down now on the mountain? Who is that? Do you recognize that person? I, I can I can recognize that person. You know who that is? That's you. That's you with that backpack on. That is you coming with good news to the greater Jackson area. Because people still bring the gospel to people. But when it comes to the Ukraine, when it comes to Japan, or when it comes to a Muslim nation that we are not able to even name this week as we get to know those missionaries, that's not you with that backpack on. That is the Burnhams hiking into the Ukraine. Now, I, I, I know you, they, didn't, they don't literally hike into the Ukraine. We just, you know, let's go with the metaphor, okay? And, even, and, and, and the next one's even more because you don't hike to Japan. That's Rachel Reese hiking into Japan. And that other couple, I'm not even going to mention their first names on this recording Hiking into a Muslim country. And so, what can we do? What is God telling us to do in response to the grace, this free grace that He's given us in the gospel? And you know what? From the youngest child to the most senior adult here, here's what we can do send them. How can they believe? How can they call on somebody they've never believed in? How can they believe they've never heard? How can they hear unless somebody proclaims it to them? How can they proclaim it if they are not, say it with me, sent? Send them. This is personal. This is global. And this is still incarnational. Highlands Church in this 2017 Missions Festival, help, hope, arrive. Let's be a part of this endeavor God has commissioned us to do. Let's see those backpacks come across the mountains and among the people here in the Jackson area and to the nations that need the rescue of grace. Help, hope, arrive. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that even as you're drawing us into this endeavor We pray that you would open our hearts to how incredible it is that you personally loved us. Never put your trust in what Christ did for you on the cross and even defeating death in the empty tomb. And you see it now. You can't make your way to God. He came to you. And you want Christ. You want to be forgiven. You want a relationship with him through the gift. You pray with me. Lord, I see it. And I want to turn from everything that I have called Christianity I want to turn from everything that I've called religion. I want to turn from myself, my sin, to you, Jesus, and all you've done. Oh, Lord, thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now I'm forgiven. Even now you are leading me. 
Uh, Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you for quite some time, and would you refresh that sense of how personal this is? Would you cause us to rejoice in grace today, given to us, this grace in which we now stand? But Lord, would you help us today and in the coming week particularly to see how global this is, and it still is. Would you help us also to see that it's incarnational, giving us a heart, give us a heart for the people in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, at the intersections of life and culture. Lord, give us a heart to sacrificially give, pray, connect with, whatever it takes to send people as well. And Lord, we pray that even because of your sovereignty, because of your grace, and even through this body of believers, may hundreds of Even thousands eat and live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.